What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doster and Fanta podcast, I guess now. Uh, a little bit of news on this show. Uh, Deshaun Butler has uh, accepted a coaching job. Uh, we can't really say what it is. We can't really say where it is. I don't want to burn him, but uh, he's not going to be able to be on this podcast anymore. So we loved working with him. We loved uh, we loved the chance to get to know him. Uh, but Fanta and I will be moving forward. And today we have a special guest, the one and only Terrence Oglesby, former Clemson player, current ACC Network analyst. Terrence, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Man, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you guys. Uh, I guess your consideration for having me on. I'm excited to work with you, Rob, and uh, heard a lot of good things about uh, Mr. Fanta as well. So I'm excited to chop it up a little bit. All right, Terrence. I got a question for you, Terrence. All right. What, What is your best, your favorite ACC moment? Uh, for, for me in particular, or just in general here recently, what it, me in particular, uh, yeah. we played a game at home against Florida State that went into double OT my freshman year. And it was one of the more exciting games because Trevor Booker hits a hits a shot to put us in overtime. And then James Mays hit another one. And then I hit four threes. I'm going to throw myself in there. I hit four threes in the second overtime. We end up winning. But that was kind of the the game that put us over the hump. Whenever uh, we were trying to get into the tournament, it was like Oliver Purnell when I was playing for him. We were kind of knocking on the door and knocking on the door. And it was finally that point. It was like, okay, we busted through. We can do it. And it kind of carried our momentum for the rest of the season because we were able to get a win against, uh, I guess, when Coach Hamilton was just starting to get the rhythm going at Florida State. And ever since then, he's been amazing. But for us and for me in particular, that was my favorite game because I've never heard little John so loud. And then uh, we ended up making it to the ACC championship game that, that, uh, that postseason. So overall that was, that was probably it in particular, but there, there's a lot, man. There's a lot. Fanta, how you doing, man? How was your summer? I'm glad that you could jump on this podcast and take time away from your, uh, your wedding travels this off season. <laughs> Well, Rob, the dancing shoes have been put in the closet until March. That is, uh, they've been they've been put away because uh, now it's we're here, we're here, we're on the countdown of the season. Yes, it was a busy summer, a lot of weddings. I'm 26 years of age, so when you hit this age, you know it. You start getting the invitations, and and they were all coming in during the summer, so I was able to make a lot of them and some really close friends. So. It was a very busy summer. Um, danced to a lot of Barry White, danced to a lot of VGs, danced to a lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire. You know, it did a lot of conga lines. I led a conga line. There is no footage. Actually, there is footage, but you're not going to get it, Doster. You're not. Goodman would have to dig for it, and he's not going to get it either. 
But yeah, we, we got footage of we got footage of Goodman dancing at a wedding. We don't need any more footage of Goodman dancing at weddings. Let me ask you this, and then we can kind of get into the podcast. I want to know for both of you. I want to know your favorite wedding song. Like what comes on at the wedding, and you're just like, all right, I got to get on the dance floor. Let's go break this thing down. Uh, for me, it, what the 21st night of September? It seems like it gets the old people out, it gets young people out. It's got good vibes. So Earth, Wind, and Fire. You got to go Earth, Wind, and Fire because then that, that gets the entire, uh, I guess, the wedding community, if you will, gets everybody out there. So I'm going with that one. Yeah, and mine's easy. I'm going to go with the B-52's Love Shack. That's a good love one. Love Shack. You can't That's- get enough of Love Shack. It's a great song. I love it. And uh, I heard it a couple times. I heard a live band do a rendition of it this summer. It was fantastic. Love Shack for me. What about you, Rob? So – there, there are a lot. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big dance at a wedding guy. Um, but I think my favorite right now is Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. I don't know what it is about that song, but you know, you get a, you get a couple glasses of wine in you, you get a couple drinks in you and that comes on and you're just kind of, you know, you're ready to go. So that's kind of where I'm at uh, with it. All right. Let's get into some of the college basketball discussion here. Uh, we actually did have some big breaking news last night. Derek Lively, the number two prospect in the class of 2022, announced that he will be playing his college basketball at Duke. Uh, he picked them over Kentucky. It looked for a little while like Kentucky might actually be the leader. But John Shire ends up winning out on that recruitment, which kind of brings us to uh, an interesting, interesting conversation about where college basketball is kind of headed in terms of recruiting who is the power coach K is not going to be there. Roy Roy Williams isn't going to be there. Uh, Coach Cal has kind of figured things out on the recruiting trail. So first and foremost, uh, Fanta, let's go to you. Um, What do you, what what do you make of um, John Shire's ability to go out and get players? We want to roll through the class that he has committed right now. He has, uh, it's Derek Lively, the number two player in the class. He has Derek Whitehead, a top 10 player in the class. He has Kyle Filipowski, who is kind of in that top 10 to 15 range, depending on where you look. He's gotten a commitment from Jaden Shutt, who is a top 50 prospect. And then Caleb Foster in the class of 2023, who I believe is another five-star recruit. All of them have committed to play for Duke since Coach K announced that he was retiring. Fanta, what do you make of this? Well, everybody in the class of 2022, also six foot five and taller. You've got Lively at seven foot one, Filipowski at six foot 11. So it's interesting to see the size factor that Duke's going to have coming in. What do I make of it? John Shire is the right man to to be the heir to the throne for Coach K. I, I, I think that it fits. And I also think that all great things come to an end at some point. And it's nothing against Coach K. Mike Krzyzewski's done it all. He's done it all. But for Duke and for where they need to go and for where the sport is heading, they needed a fresh face. They needed a fresh face. I truly think that. And I think that John Shire fits Duke in that you knew they were going to stay in the family. Anybody who thought they weren't, you're crazy. John Shire understands what winning looks like at Duke, but also has more of just a, to me, he's more primed to adapt to where the sport is heading than a coach K would have been had he stayed for five years. Uh, This might come off as a hot take, but I think that where Duke is positioned and where the sport is heading, as you alluded to, and we'll get to Kentucky in a few moments for me, 
if I had to look at who should head up Duke men's basketball uh, after this season for the next five years, I would have probably picked John Shire over Mike Krzyzewski, five more years of Mike Krzyzewski, because I just think where the sport is heading, I think Coach K's done it all. And it's not to say that he couldn't adapt. I just think it becomes that much harder for a man at his age to continue to do it. It doesn't mean they wouldn't have success, but we're talking about, when we talk about Duke, success is national championships. So for me, John Shire is the man for this job. He's proving it right now. I'm not that surprised because we are a blue blood does not solely die because of, of one person. That brand speaks for itself. And for a young guy like John Shire, you knew he was going to try to make a statement. It is eye-popping to me because I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to make this large of a statement what he's doing, and Lively is huge. But I'm not that surprised, and I believe that John Shire, for Duke, that was the best direction that they could have gone in going forward, even more so than just another five years of Coach K. All great things must come to an end. I hope I'm not coming off as a Coach K hater. No, you're not. And and what I will say is this, you know, Shire's proven that he can get it done on the recruiting trail. But I also think that to a point, Duke kind of recruits itself, right? Everybody knows what the Duke brand is. Everybody knows uh, you're going to be on national TV every, uh, every single night. And with NIL being a thing, all of a sudden, you have the full power of the Duke social branding movement that they've put together. I mean, they have more followers on across all of the social channels than just about any college athletics program. You go there, you are going to be a brand. You go there, you're going to be able to market yourself. You're going to be able to put your face in front of so many different people, so many different followers. They That machine is rolling. So I do think that to a point, Duke can kind of recruit itself. So I'm not necessarily – like I, I'm, I'm not trying to discredit what Shire's doing because, I mean, he's gotten all of this stuff done. Uh, but I do think to a point, like it kind of it, – it's a, it's a cog in the machine. My question, and Terrence, maybe you can have some insight on this, is – where I can't be 100% sold on John Shire until we actually see what he could do coaching, right? It's one thing to be able to get this talent on your roster. It's another thing to be able to get that talent. We, we've seen plenty of teams with great recruiting classes not end up living up to those expectations. Well, let, let's be clear here too. Like Duke isn't running some kind of really difficult stuff offensively. So I'm not sure it's going to be that big of a difference because one, you're going one and done. That's what they've been doing for a long time. That's what they're going to continue to do. If Derek Lively is in one and done, I don't know what one looks like. And I feel like I've watched a lot of basketball. Uh, I am going to disagree with Fanta a little bit because when he said, you know, just because a coach leaves doesn't change the factor of a blue bullet. I think Indiana had that happen with Indiana and Bob Knight. I mean, they've fallen out off significantly and they haven't really found somebody to fix it. Now, I like what Woodson's doing early. I don't know that he's going to be able to get it back to that sort of Indiana brand, but I think the symbolism of a coach being there for so long, uh, I think that definitely helps things. I do think John's going to do a good job because, one, he was the kind of player that's going to turn into a great coach because I played against him, and he wasn't always the quickest or the fastest, but he was always there. I don't know what that, I don't know what that symbolizes, but he was always there. He was an excellent uh Gosh, he was kind of a role player at Duke, truth be told. I mean, he didn't really overexert himself. He, he knew the spots to be on the floor. He's going to be very good when it comes to that. But the fact of the matter is they're going to go back to the Duke that I remember playing against. They're going to go back to the Duke that you remember in the late 90s because, Fanta, you alluded to the size. I remember Duke teams that used to overwhelm you with that size. 
Duke teams are used to overwhelm you with that, that, that athleticism. And they haven't had that here in the past few years. I mean, you bring in Matthew Hurt because he's skilled, but he's not really going to overwhelm you and he can't guard anybody. I don't see one guy that they're bringing in that's not going to be able to guard. And that's going to be important, I think, moving forward. And, you know, it's one thing to say, Duke, hey, that's a brand. Guys are going to go to that brand. But at the same time, you still got to go get them. So, and, and they have some studs on that coaching staff too. Nolan has been, should have been an assistant coach a long time ago. There just wasn't a spot for him. And I think you get paid more to Dobo at Duke than you do at most power five assistant jobs. I think that helps things, but I, I really like the direction of where they're going. And, and John's smart. He is a coach. He's been a coach for a long, I mean, look at the guy. If he doesn't look like the prototypical head coach at a power five school, I don't know what one looks like. Well, he looks like he's 17 years old. So that too, that too. But I mean, he, he deserves to be there. I think he's paid his dues. Everybody's kind of figured he was going to be. And my question to you guys too, is like, if you don't go John Shire, where do you go? Capel hasn't had success at Pitt. Woj did poorly at Marquette. There was no other option than to go with Shire. And I think one of the biggest parts is he's never failed anywhere, which he's going to fail. There's going to be parts of time where he fails is to, Today's market and today's Duke fans, are, are, are they going to be able to be patient enough to, for him to grow up a little bit? Because talent's going to overwhelm a lot of people, but there are going to be times where it's a lot different sitting in that main seat than it is in that assistant seat. And I think it, it, I don't think it'll be overly difficult for him because his talent's going to be superior to a lot of the teams they play. But he's still going to have a hard time, especially when you get to that you know round of 16, round of eight. And you said it, John, like success is measured in national championships at Duke. You're going to have to co- – I mean, coaching matters. Look at how Penny's done the past couple of years. He's finally got the right staff around him this year. I think it's going to help. We're going to talk about that later. But coaching matters, especially when you get to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing. I, I mean, I, I think that it's time for change at Duke. Like, when we talk about national championships, this is a program that has not won one in 2015 and for this program that's a long time i mean that that the expectation is that you're going to to be there and they haven't been to a a final four now since 2015 Mm -hmm. so for me like to your point terrence john was the natural choice i would beg the question and people behind closed doors would know this better than any of us but how much was john already doing Mm-hmm. You know, you, you guys just said it. He's He's got a track record of recruiting. He's been able to get recruits. Yes, there are X's and O's. There are – it's winning games in the ACC that he's going to have to prove that he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think he's a natural choice. And I think the Bob Knight argument – look, it's true. Indiana has not been the same program. The, the Bob Knight transition out of power uh, certainly isn't what, what this is with Coach K. But, but it is true. Is Duke – Bigger than Coach K going forward. I, I, I think it is. And, and the one thing I will say about, about Bob Knight is that when he went out, th- that relationship was – that was, was sloppy. Good. Yes. Right. That's he, the thing. There's a actively, big difference there. He actively worked against it, whereas Coach K is still in his office, right? Like he, right. he's going to stay in that office. He's going to be an ambassador for the program. He's going to be – right. he loves to. That dude loves Duke more than anybody loves the school that they worked at or the job that they worked at. So he is always going to be there. So I think that that is definitely going to help him. I just also want to, like, look, I know that Duke hasn't been to a Final Four since 2015. They also were one Grayson. Remember that that shot Grayson Allen took in 2018 that rolled off the rim at the buzzer of regulation against Kansas in the Elite Eight? If that shot goes in instead of going out, 
then they make that final four. Uh, Zion Williamson's year in 2019. If Kenny Goings doesn't hit a game-winning three with like three seconds left on the clock, they make the final four that year. So they haven't made it. They've been close. The one thing I will say is this. Um, Duke hasn't been like relevant in the ACC regular season title race in like a dozen years. Do you know the last time they won a conference regular season championship? Either you guys off the top of your head? No. 2010. Yeah, I was about to say, it had to have been my year. Or John the, the Shire. Year after I left. John Shire played. Think about this. John Shire played on the last team for Duke that won the ACC That's amazing. season title. I, I, I want to turn this a little bit towards uh, towards the conversation of Duke versus Kentucky because I do think, um, on the one can hand – Can I throw something in there before yeah, we go move ahead. on? Go ahead. John Shire was a senior. A lot of those guys were seniors. Like, that was before the one-and-done really took effect to where Coach K made the transition to where – I'm going to get guys, I'm going to hold on to them for four years, and I'm going to implement my culture and everything to where he was like, oh, to hell with it. I'm going to go with Zion, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and I'm just going to throw the most talented team I can out there. And what happens when you have those one-and-done teams, they're going to be bad in the first half of the ACC season, or they're going to be bad in the first half of their SEC season when you look at Kentucky or something like that. Now, they still find ways to win. We're not talking about the same teams, but like, look at the teams that have won the ACC in most recent years. Virginia's. Florida State has old dudes. Uh, Georgia Tech last year, they didn't win this re- regular season, but they won the ACC tournament. Jose Alvarado, I think, was 30. Moses Wright, I think, was like 26 or 27. Like, the, dude, the dudes are old, and olds win, old wins. Old wins. Old wins during a regular season. Talented wins once talent figures out how to play at the collegiate level. Hey, yep. hence why we're in for the best regular season in this sport in quite some time. 20 years. Yep. All right, we'll get into Kentucky in one second, but I did just want to let you guys know a little bit about Field of 12 Media. It is a brand new podcast and digital media network covering college football by the people that know it best. Brought to you by Shoot Your Shot Productions, the folks behind the Field of 68. Uh, The Field of 12 gives you insight into the game we all love by the people that have lived it. Trevor Knight and Bryce Petty are covering the Big 12. Max Starks and Clint Sterner own the SEC. We have Harry Douglas and Terrence's guy, Cody Sensiball, in the ACC. Christian Hackenberg and Josh Perry break down the Big 10. And we have Yogi Roth, Ted Robinson, and Michael Molinari, the uh, the Pac-12 Network's lead crew for covering games on the Pac-12. And of course, every Saturday night, we will have the Field of 12 After Dark live show. So make sure you check out the links. I'll put them in the description below for the Field of 12 where college football happens. All right, let's get into that conversation about Kentucky just a little bit because I do think it's important to talk about. They've kind of gotten back to their old school recruiting ways. They got the number one prospect in the class, depending on where you look in Shaden Sharp. They got another top 10, top five, top 10 kid in Chris Livingston. Uh, they landed a commitment from Sky Clark. They've also kind of gotten beat a little bit on the recruiting trail recently, more than I think people realize. They went hard after Derek Lively. They got beat out uh, by Duke for him. They went hard after Jalen Durant. They got beat out by Memphis for him. They went pretty hard after Kofi Coburn. They got beat out by Illinois. I guess beat out is maybe the right word, but uh, Kofi Coburn did not end up at Kentucky. So I'm curious, uh, Terrence, why don't you start? Just where do you stand on Kentucky, what do you think is going on there? And what has uh, – is it just as simple as they've, they've kind of gotten more into uh, the NIL and taken advantage of that? Is that why they're getting some of these kids again? I think it's a little bit of that. And I think one thing is going to happen this year. I think they're going to start taking less freshmen uh, because I think it just makes so much sense. Uh, the, the kid from Davidson, Kellen Grady, is excellent. The, uh, 
got Shavir Wheeler from Georgia is an excellent player. And then they're going to sprinkle in some old shooter from Iowa. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're adding everybody in the transfer portal. I think you're going to add in these superstar level talents and Shaden Sharp. He's not Zion Williamson. I watched that last night. Dowster. He's not that, but what he is, is he's a bigger, stronger, more athletic Lou Williams. He's somebody who can score wherever he gets the ball, whether it's off the dribble, he's excellent playing off the catch, and he is one of the best athletes in the class. He's fantastic. Yeah. But I think one thing that you're going to see this year, Coach, Coach Calipari, he's going, to make, he's going to enjoy playing these guys that have already been coached by Tom Crean, have already been coached by Bob McKillop, have already been coached by all these other guys. He's bringing in this excellent talent. He's not going to have to do as much so he can focus his effort on some of these younger guys. And I think it's going to be a – I think maybe they've been getting beaten. That's fine. But I think they're also going to start leaving two and three extra spots for the springtime when they can, you know, grab up and round up some of this talent around the country that basically needs to move up. And Grady needed to move up. I mean, it was child's play uh, playing in Davidson's conference. I mean, he was just absolutely killing wherever he went. And he's so diverse and not diverse. What's the right word? Uh, Multifaceted in the manner in which he can score that he belonged in a bigger, tougher conference. And he's going to score just as many. But now you're peppering in even more talent with some of these freshmen that will evolve and be your go to guys towards the end of the season. I couldn't agree with you more, Terrence. And that's the sign of where the sport is. Mm -hmm. Nobody is going to try to advance their curve more than John Calipari. And that's why I love Coach Cal. He is who he is. He doesn't pull back. He says, look, NIL's here. Kentucky will be the best school for it. Mm -hmm. One and done, he said that before. But guess what? Guess what? Down in Waco, Coach Drew's doing it with Baylor. Uh, At Villanova, Jay Wright's done it to a degree. Mark Few at Gonzaga's continuing Mm -hmm. to do it. Where has the sport trended? The sport has trended with get old, stay old. And guess what? You don't have to get old when you're Kentucky because you could go grab Mm -hmm. the old if you'd like. And in this time of transfers, Kentucky needs to be in on them just as much as they are in on the five stars, which is why you just put it perfectly. Look at the coaching Oscar Shibway as well, coming from Bob Huggins, averaged close to a double-double last year and will be down the paint. What, what was the problem with Kentucky last year? Among all the problems, they didn't have veteran guard play that you could rely on consistently. Grady's a winner. Kellen Grady's mm-hmm. a winner. Uh, you, you talk about with Severe Wheeler. I think Severe Wheeler is going to thrive for Kentucky. And then mm-hmm. you have those two players surrounding Ty Ty Washington – it speaks for itself how this can be a successful formula. Kentucky is back. And there is nobody in my mind that tries to get with the curve of the sport, then Coach Cal. And let's face it, guys. Duke has changed. North Carolina has changed. Kansas, they, they still do have infractions that are hovering over the program. We don't know what's going to be the end result. But there's an open door here for the Kentucky Wildcats to take over that lead role in that blue blood pecking order. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it's also important to note here that with with the advent of NIL and college basketball, I do think that it's going to eliminate uh, those top five to ten guys that are going to go to the G League. If, if the money is the same 
and it's probably better in college right now with NIL stuff. Uh, why would you go to the G League where um, you're not going to be able to capitalize on kind of the branding, right? Like, look, the best players in the NBA, basketball is their side gig. When it comes down to it, if, if you if you look at this strictly as your job is who pays you the most, that's your main job. Kevin Durant's main job is Nike. Actually, honestly, Kevin Durant's main job is probably 35 Ventures or whatever his uh, his, his investment company is, right? Mm-hmm. Basketball is his side gig when it comes down to it. And I think a lot of these guys realize when they go to college and they're playing on national television every night, that's the best way to build your brand. And I know people hate those buzzwords, especially when we're talking about 18 and 19 year old kids, but it's a reality that we live in in the social media era. Um, I do just want to make one point about Kentucky though. I, for Kentucky to be back, it's, it's a little bit the same thing that I talked about with Shire, right? Like, before I go all in on Shire, like I just want to like see if he can win games as a basketball coach and, and, and get his players better. The same thing with Coach Cal here and, and kind of getting these guys back. My biggest criticism for that program has been they've been a little bit adverse to change when it comes to the stuff that they run and the style that they play. Like Coach Cal loved, loved playing two big guys, right? Like he wants to be able to dominate the class and he wants to be able to have that five man in the dunker spot. We're also having a five man set of screens. So you've got that guy rolling to the rim and things kind of get clogged. And you know, what has been the knock on that program recent years, like their inability to shoot their inability to space the floor. Right. Um, If you kind of look at what they run, they're still running a lot of the same sets that they Mm -hmm. used to run back in like 2010. And, And look, that happens in a lot of places as well. But when, what coach Cal kind of does right is basically finds what works and runs it over and over and over again. There's not a lot of like complicated sets that he's running. No. Yeah. It's basically like the tweaks are instead of having Malik Monk or Jamal Murray run off of this double screen and, and kind of come over and shoot a three, you got Kevin Knox or BJ Boston curling and getting in the lane and trying to get an open like 12 footer. Right. Well, they overwhelm you. Yeah. He's always tried to overwhelm you. And last year he wasn't able to do it. Brandon Boston was super, or BJ Boss, whatever he goes by. He's he was super skinny. Olivier Saar is more of a finesse big. Now look how they've gone with their stuff. They've got floor spacing with CJ Frederick. They got a rim attack guy and severe Wheeler. They go Oscar Tashiboy, who's back to that big burly guys. And his best Kentucky teams is when they've had a rim protecting five man who can overwhelm you with size and strength. Look at Anthony Davis. He did it with like other world, like Space Jam level length, like. Carl Anthony Towns was that kind of guy. But not only with Carl Anthony Towns, they had big guards that overwhelm you. This team, the pieces fit a little bit better with this Kentucky team. Yes. Yeah, and, and I would say that moving forward, the fact that he went as hard as he did after Chris Livingston is a sign that he's kind of, I want to say, changing towards more modern basketball. So I, I was talking with someone close to this program, and, and basically what they told me is that like Coach Cal is not a basketball junkie, right? Like let's, let's take Mac Painter, for example, because I, I, I Robbie Hummel has told the story on podcasts that we've done before. Um, Hummel stayed with, with, uh, with Painter for like three months at one point after he graduated, like when he was kind of in between uh, playing gigs. And mm-hmm. he said that like when Painter would wake up in the morning, he would watch whatever, uh, whatever games he DVR the night before, then he would go to work. He would watch film all day at work, go to practice, come home, uh, cook dinner and he would throw on whatever NBA game or whatever, whatever college game was on that he was watching. And he would stay up sitting on his couch watching that. Right. Like <laughs> that, that dude, miserable. <laughs> that dude is a basketball junkie. And, and I think it kind of comes through in, um, in terms of what they run. Like I, I use mm-hmm. this out all the time in 2016, they set the record 
the record for the most number or the highest percentage of possessions that ended in post-ups. That's when they had Isaac Haas and AJ Hammonds. Three years later, he made it to the Elite Eight, setting a record for the most threes ever attempted in a Big Ten season when they had Carson Edwards and Ryan Klein. He will change to what his personnel says he needs to be able to do, and he will change to the times. Um, Coach Cal is not that guy. Like, he's just not staying he's up CEO. all night. Yeah he's, yeah, he's not staying up all night watching basketball games. Like, he's not sitting there grinding film the way that some of these other guys grind, grind film, and he's kind of set in his ways and does what he does. And the other thing, before I let you guys go, I'm sorry I'm kind of ranting here, but the other thing is that he also wants to call the stuff himself. Like he it's, it's his program. He's John Calipari. His name is on it. He wants to have the stuff that they're running come from him. He wants to call the sets, uh, which is not always ideal when you're not the most uh, up to date in terms of what is effective in modern basketball. Right. Whereas if you look at what Matt Painter does, I'll use that example again, Greg Gary ran his offense from 2016 to 2019 when it got the head job at Mercer, Micah Shrewsbury, uh, ran his offense the last two years when it got the head job at Penn State. Steve Lutz ran his defense for the last couple of years when it got the head job at uh, what he is at. I think he's at Texas A&M Corpus Christi now. So he had guys on his staff that he trusted to be able to run the stuff that he wanted to be able to run. He delegated. They had a ton of success playing all different styles, and those guys went off and got head jobs. So I think that kind of those two contrasts are things that uh, I think we might see – changing a little bit just by looking at some of the pieces on this roster. Like, look, Keon Brooks, I love him. If you play him at the four, that is the ideal position for him to be in terms of a small ball uh, lineup. Same thing with Chris Livingston. So, um, sorry, I'll get off my soapbox now. Someone else talk. What are, you, what are you saying about Calipari's coaching tree right now is my question. What are you saying? So you're saying Joel Justice didn't deserve a couple of head jobs? Um, I, I, think, I think Joel's a, a, a really smart coach. Um, and I don't necessarily think that it feels like he was the fall guy, right? Like they, they kind of disagreeing with you. I just want to put you on spot a little bit. I'm not disagreeing with you, but you look at some other coaches that have been with him and have gone on. They haven't had success. Tony Barbie or Auburn struggled. I mean, it, there's something to be said there. I mean, coach Cal, he takes supreme ownership and what that means to him is, well, I better call the offense so that if something happens, I'm the guy that's calling the offense and it's not on anybody else. And I'm with that to an extent, but Painter does a phenomenal job of delegating. I, I work for Brad Brownell, who is everything you just said about paint is the exact way that Brownell is to wake up in the morning, watch hoop, go to go to work, watch hoop, go home, watch NBA hoop. And it's it's constantly changing. And, you know, Payne obviously has been able to recruit at a little bit higher level at Purdue because it's Purdue. But uh, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think Cal's like that. I think he's more of the CEO role. Uh, mm-hmm. He oversees a lot of things, and he is a master craftsman in getting his program out in front of the public. He was that at UMass. He was that at Memphis. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if he kind of fired up John Cheney just so UMass could have gotten some more notoriety. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's that kind of guy, and that's fine. That's great. It works. And if you're able to get the best players every year and you're able to overwhelm, overwhelm still works in college. Overwhelm doesn't work in the NBA unless you have Shaq or Joel Embiid, and there's not many of those guys. In college, you can do that with bigger guards and bigger wings, and Oscar Tashiboy is going to put you back towards that direction. Well, and, and that's the thing there, Terrence, is overwhelm can still work in college mm-hmm. if you have experience overwhelming. A- absolutely. You, you can't simply – just do what they did with B.J. Boston uh, coming off screens and, and Devin Askew trying to make plays. 
it, it didn't work. It didn't work last year. I mean, it was underwhelming. Mm-hmm. It was seriously underwhelming. It was a total failure that Kentucky season. And I, I think that nobody the Cal is in, in being that CEO. Okay. He can draw anybody, anybody to his restaurant for a visit that like if, if I had a coach run any business um, in college basketball, I would pick John Calipari. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone better in the sport at influencing at drawing. I mean, you just look at him walk into a room in his jacket with that smile, with that hair, it, he comes off as the influencer that's going to draw people together, that's going to make something happen. It's, it's about adapting. And he's done it before. He's preached it before. But this isn't as, this isn't as um, maybe eye-popping or sexy as what was previous. And what I mean by that is when you bring in the kid who's played two or three years for a Bob Huggins or played for a, a Bob McKillop, you might not get the same headline. Like, like telling Grady nationally to the casual fan isn't the same as what we think of Kellen Grady. We think Kellen Grady is a great player and was ready to level up. Mm-hmm. Kellen Grady is not giving Coach Cal maybe the same gratification publicly that the five-star kid's giving him, but he knows Agreed. he has to pick up those types of kids if he's going to win in March and April because although people don't want to hear it, the fact is, I would rather have the kid with three stars next to his name that developed into a real talent as a senior than I would having an unproven five-star. That's the school I'm in. It's the school that the sport has been going in. And the ratings in late March haven't changed. If you look at the television ratings, there's March Madness, it, it recruits itself. It brings in its own viewers. The way that you win in March Madness, if you're going to overwhelm, you have to have to have some experience to do it because coaches have adapted to the one-and-done movement and said, here's how we are going to beat you. And that's why a Matt Painter is a good example of that, Rob, because he's had to coach maybe a little bit harder. He's had to do a little bit more, but it's a sign of, hey, this can win. This does win. And how does Coach Cal adjust to that now? I think he's doing it. I don't think it's as sexy when, in terms of landing on the ESPN bottom line, but if we're talking about winning in March, which is what it comes down to, it's going to mean more. So we talk about overwhelming and we talk about winning in March, which is a perfect segue into a little conversation about Memphis. I do think that we need to touch on them just a bit. I, I honestly think that they are the most fascinating team in college basketball this season. We have Amani Bates. We have Jalen Duran. We have Penny Hardaway. We have Larry Brown. We have Rasheed Wallace. Like there is just so much going on within that program um, within that coaching staff, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. So, uh, Fanta, I'm going to tee you up with this first. What, what do you make of this Memphis team? Are you worried about some of the concerns we've seen with shooting with, with some of the youth on the roster? And, uh, do you think this is the year that Penny can finally get this thing done? Well, if he doesn't start to get it done this year, then it, it might not be meant to be. Um, look, former players coming back and taking on these positions at the college level, it's been a mixed bag and probably more negative than positive. But um, I do have my concerns about how exactly does this all mesh together. That being said, I think that it could be more feasible for it to come together because they play in a conference that's not 
one of the better conferences in college basketball. Like, I do think that Memphis is going to have more of an open door to get things together. The, the question is, when you play in that league, and Terrence alluded to this with Duke, Duke's pursuit for a regular season title. Mm-hmm. Like, for Duke, when they got it together in mid-January or late January, or if it's early February, right. when they did get it together and went on their run, those wins mattered. They mattered for NCAA tournament standing. You're going to make the tournament you're taking off. Even the committee, I think, sometimes realized, hey, Duke was really young. We might have to change the way that we, we see them based on how much they were young and, uh, and, and the fact that they're a very, very different team right now. The human element enters the equation for selection. For Memphis, they are the most fascinating team in college basketball heading into this season. And look, we're all rooting for this storyline to – to play out and be a good one in college basketball. It would be great for college basketball to have Penny Hardaway leading the Tigers back on the map nationally day in and day out. I have my question marks on game in, game out, that grind, managing the X's and O's, managing late game situations. And I do have my questions marks on the league that they play in. I don't know the strength of that conference um, sure, it's Houston, but I don't know the strength of, of the American. I mean, I, I don't right now, and I don't know if it carries the same value. If that team takes time to come along and then goes on their run in February, it doesn't carry the same weight as maybe other one-and-done programs are able to achieve. So are they going to be ready to go in November? Look, the talents there, Bates um, is, is such a remarkable talent. But do I have my questions on whether this works? I'm kind of like you, Rob, with Shire. I am going to wait and see. I'll tell you what, though. I'm going to be watching, and we are all going to be watching because this is the most compelling storyline. A lot of East Carolina slander coming out of John Fance's mouth right now. Terrence, where do you stand on these Memphis Tigers? <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because they brought in nine new bodies. I think that's the biggest portion of this whole thing. And they went out and got a point guard, but it's a guy that was there to begin with that had mediocre success at best, goes to Iowa State. He's like, oh, well, I mean, this isn't going to go great. I'm going to go back home. So he's never really won at a high level. It's a little bit the same as what happened the last two years. They've got supreme talent. Now it's not number one and number two in the class of 2022, but at some point you're going to have to put somebody on staff that can run your offense because defensively Memphis has been really good over the past two years, mm-hmm. not just kind of good top five in the country. Good. They were the so best they haven't been able to team in the country last year. Let's, let's get that up there. They were the best defensive team in college basketball last season before they added Jalen Duran before they added a money. So they were great defensively. That's not the problem. They, yeah, and they had guys that could score, hypothetically. Lester Keonez, I'm a big fan of. You got Imani Bates. He's going to help you on that end. Who's going to orchestrate all this stuff? Alex Lomax? Ben Mediocre. You going to put Imani Bates at the point? I'm not sure I like that. He's wired one way. Now, he is a sweetheart of a kid. Let's just throw that out there. He's a great kid, and he will look to pass it, but then you're taking away what he does best. Right. Who's going to put in pick in place where these guys are going to be offensively is going to be the biggest thing for me. And I think Penny feels like you can throw Penny out there and still be good. Bottom line is you're going to have to set up some of these young guys to get into the spots where they're best. Jalen Duran, he's good. He's a physical animal, but like, or physical animals, the wrong word, physical specimen. But like, he's not an offensive juggernaut. He's not somebody that's going to step out and do a ton of stuff. Now he's good. But he's not. He's going to have to go in that overwhelming factor. You're going to have to put guys in the right spot to score. They're excellent defensively. It's time for them to make the tournament. 
He's not he's not on the hot seat. Penny's not on the hot seat. We 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 got to have something to talk about. But Penny's not going anywhere. Pen, Penny is Memphis. Penny is Memphis. He's not going anywhere. I, but he needs to have he needs to put his guys in a spot to score, and they just haven't been able to do it despite having top five recruiting classes in the country every year since he's been there. Yeah, I, I don't think that he's on the hot seat, but I do think this is kind of the the shit or get off the pot season for Penny, right? Like, look, you look at the last couple seasons, there have always been. I don't even want to say excuses. There have been legitimate reasons for them mm-hmm. to have some of the struggles that they've had. He hasn't been to a tournament yet. First year he got there, didn't have the talent that you would expect. That was Tubby Smith's roster, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Second year he got there. James Wiseman leaves after three games. Uh, the um, who's DJ Jeffries tears up his knee, misses the rest of the season. You lose two of your top three players, right? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? There's not much you can do. How many teams in the country could lose two of their top three players? play in the American Athletic Conference, and put together a resume that's going to be good enough to get you to go to the NCAA tournament, right? The year after that, they lost a couple games early. They were young. They took off down the stretch. In my mind, they were probably a top 30 team in college basketball last year. They played in the American Athletic Conference. They couldn't put together the resume. If one of those games against Houston in the last couple weeks of the season goes a different way, they were one possession losses. If they win one of those two games, they make the tournament. So, I think that there are legitimate reasons why Penny is in the position that he's in. I don't even want to call them excuses. There are, there is no legitimate excuse for not getting this team to the tournament. He has the talent. He's got to be able to find a way to figure it out. The point guard issue is a big one, right? I don't think Amani is going to be that guy. I don't know who else it is. Um, Jalen Duran, like we, we, Terrence, we talked about this for five straight days at PG. Mm. Is his motor going to be running hot the whole year? That's the biggest question. Where's the shooting going to come from? How are you going to be able to get, they probably have a rotation of 11 guys. How are you going to be able to get all of these dudes, the minutes that they're going to need to be able to stay engaged, right? What happens if uh, you, you decide that you're going to have to bench one of Landers, Nolly or Lester Quinones? Are you going to be able to have the shooting on the floor that will create the space to make all of this stuff effective? There are a lot of really, really good pieces. Putting these pieces together to me is the big question. Now, the one last point that I want to make, and then, then I'll let you guys go is that, I actually think that this is the perfect spot for both Amani and Jalen in terms of their long-term development, right? Amani wants to be able to be a guy that kind of develops on the defensive end, that develops some of his passing game and plays more of a point guard. Who better to learn from for that than Penny Hardaway, right? Jalen Duren, his big issue, consistency of effort. Who better to help you develop that than getting cussed out by Rasheed Wallace and Larry Brown every time you take a possession off? every day in practice, every single game. So I do mm. think that this is a great spot for both of those kids in terms of their long-term development. I just, I have questions about how all of these pieces are going to fit together. And I hope, hope that people kind of set the expectation for this team is like, you get out of the first weekend, you get to the round of 16. That is a successful season for a team that's going to be headlined by two kids that are supposed to be seniors in high school. Instead of saying it's national title or bust. Yes. Can I, throw, can I throw one thing in there when it comes to the American? Sorry, John, do you, I'm sorry. Uh, we talk a little bit about Duke and Kentucky and how they've gotten older. The American Conference is a bunch of guys that are, have old teams. You look at Houston, you look at Wichita State, even though they've had some issues, there are a bunch of old dudes out there in the fields in Kansas, wherever the hell they are. <laughs> SMU has a bunch of old guys. UCF, they've done a nice job in the past few years. They're really talented. Got the kid from Oregon that transferred down. They have a lot of bodies. Cincinnati, now with Wes Miller, 
they have some old guys, including some transfers from the ACC, Odia Guama, John Newman. They've got bodies. They've got old bodies. They won 11 out of their last 13. Here's the problem with doing stuff like that. You have to find ways to win in December and January for your resume to be strong enough. And they still – they won the NIT. And they were a tournament team talent-wise. Everything, I don't think anybody uh, would argue that. I just feel like uh, you got to find ways in a conference that's considered subpar by some – you got to find ways to win games early, even though you're young. Yeah, right? and I look at their non-conference schedule, starting to just take a deeper dive on that, and I think they ease in well. Tennessee Tech, North Carolina Central, I'm okay with that. Like, that's what I would want if I were Penny Hardaway for this team, for this mm-hmm. particular team. I don't want to take this team to Madison Square Garden for a Champions Classic or something like that in the first right. week. So, you know – that that for me, like keeping a lower profile in that first week's probably okay. They have St. Louis at home. They have Western Kentucky at home. Quality tests leading into – then you have that NIT. That NIT season tip-off for Memphis is going to be a first measuring stick, and it's against quality competition. The NIT has lost its luster uh, from its heyday. But, look, these big-time names coming to Brooklyn, you're going to have Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's – a team that that I think is kind of kind of getting slept on in the ACC a little bit heading into this year. They're really well coached. Or I got them second. You got them second. I got them second. They're going to be very a, good. Wow. Stop the show right now. <laughs> I've got Virginia Tech second in the ACC. Wow. Really? Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. I got I love the makeup of their team. Kive Aluma's old Storm Murphy at point guard. They are very talented. They have shooting all over the floor. Hunter Couture is better than people think. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. Watch. I, I will. I will tell you this much: having Mike Young on the biggest stage possible is great for college basketball. That he's dude, the best. That dude he's is the best. He's, he's a different guy. I love him. He's. We have these conversations about who's like the coach that you want to have a beer with in college basketball. Uh, no one is ever going to top Bob Huggins. I don't think anyone will ever come above Andy Kennedy for number two, but like Mike Young is about as close as you can get to that conversation. I think I would pick Mike Young because I don't know that I'd be able to wake up the next morning with Kennedy and Huggins. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so like that, I might die if I hung out with those guys for too long. Yeah, but Sorry, you'd go have, ahead. <laughs> you'd have the best night ever, though. You'd have you'd have a night that an unforgettable night, so much so that you might not wake up. I think it would be forgettable. I'd have to re- record it. Yeah, exactly. it's one of those ones. I, I don't know if you guys listen to Jason Isbell, but he's got a line in a song, Super Eight, where he says it would have made a great story if I could only remember it right. And that is the definition of having a night with hugs and AK. All right. Before we get into listener questions, I just wanted to let you guys know uh, a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they are offering you a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay Instant Approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. And with football season kicking off, get in on the action by going to BetRivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get into some of these listener questions. This one is actually from me. Uh, I just want to know what you guys think the Big 12 kind of does from here. They are losing Texas and Oklahoma. They are adding BYU, uh, USF, Houston, and who did I forget? BYU. Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati, yep. All right, so uh, Terrence, why don't you start us off real quick on that? What do you 
what are you expecting out of the Big 12 and what happens to the American with uh, with, with this? I, I'm just happy that the uh, Big 12 has 12 teams again. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I, I thought it was the craziest thing ever. Big 12 has 10, Big 10 has four, uh, however many. Uh, I, I think there are a couple of good ads. I think Houston's good. I think uh, BYU, you get a portion of that West Coast community, especially, I guess, the, the, the Mormon religion. I guess I think they're on the West Coast. They're the Mormon version of Notre Dame. So I think they're going to generate a big following. And their football and basketball team has been very good as well. Uh, Cincinnati makes sense. I thought they should have been a power five school a long time ago. Their football has been good. West Miller, they've made significant investments in basketball. They've been good there for a long time. Uh, UCF is interesting to me because that just adds another power five school out of the state of Florida and UCF's a commuter school. Uh, we were talking about it prior to the show. I, I think there's 70,000 people enrolled. I don't know that I can't remember the this exact number. You had the exact number, Rob, but according to a, Google, it was 71,928. That's a lot of kids. That's, I don't know if that's right or not, but I Googled it and that was the first thing that popped up. So I'm going with it. That's a lot of kids. I think they compete with the University of Phoenix for most online students, though, because there's not a ton of people on campus. I mean, like, what are we, what are we doing? I think that's a jaded number. But I will say this. Uh, it will attract a large following. Florida State hasn't been good. I think that'll be good. Houston, Houston's also one that I thought about a little bit because you have all these schools in Texas, and Texas is obviously its own country, basically. But who is the biggest booster at Houston? Fertitta. Fertitta just strikes a huge deal with ESPN. So you're going to be able to generate some ESPN money that you lost out on because of Texas and Oklahoma leave. And you're going to be able to recoup just a little bit, not a ton, because they obviously take a lot. But you're also working in, I think there might have been a favor to it involved because I don't, I, I don't consider, I think they have had power five talent for a long time, but I think there were some other factors involved. Um, Losing Texas and Oklahoma obviously hurts. I can't wait for Texas to go to the SEC and just get whipped in every sport except for basketball. Chris Beard is going to be great. But uh, football-wise, I just I don't see the logic in what they did. But Big 12 has 12 teams, and I like every addition. Yeah, I, I do think it's the, the basketball side is going to um, – it's going to say just, just as competitive, right? Like mm-hmm. BYU won – uh, I understand why they added them. That's that, that's a huge, huge fan base uh, mm-hmm. that I don't think people realize just how big uh, the BYU fan base is. You, you compared it to Notre Dame, it's it's not quite at that level, but it's uh, it's kind of similar. Um, Houston, I think, is going to end up being a great program. Uh, uh, that's just a great. I mean, Kelvin Sampson's turned that thing around. They're a monster, um, and Cincinnati just always wins. I mean, mm-hmm. and then you got UCF, so uh, TCU doesn't feel lonely at the bottom of that conference every single year. Yeah, and here's the thing. You still have you have Kansas, Baylor, and Texas Tech, all of whom have been in national championship situations mm-hmm. recently. Texas Tech with Chris Beard. We get it. Yes, we'll have to see how this works. But, but get this. I, I thought that this was really interesting. Um, Sports Illustrated, Kevin Sweeney, our friend, put together a, a long, deep dive on this situation, and he, and he looked at the metrics of the situation. So think about this. Average Ken Palm rank the last five years, the old Big 12 is at 42.6 to be exact. The new Big 12 is at 45. So basketball is not taking a far drop. In fact, as Rob said, I agree with you, Rob. I think it stays just as competitive. In fact, I think the Big 12 in the state of unknown that college athletics was in, in that cluster, you know what, that we saw last month, 
Look, in basketball, the Big 12 held steady, if not had the best-case scenario after you lose Texas and Oklahoma. Like, you lose Texas and Oklahoma, and you ever see the Y2K uh, commercial for ESPN when they're running all over the place, uh, uh, follow me to freedom at the end? Like, that was what the Big 12 office had to be like. And now in basketball, you said it, guys. Like, people do not understand BYU. You know why they play at like 10.30 at night or 11 o'clock at night sometimes Mm -hmm. on CBS Sports Network. BYU spends more than half of Pac-12 schools. They spend on their basketball program. Provo is an electrifying atmosphere. They are going to benefit big time when they're on Big Monday at 9 o'clock hosting Mm -hmm. Kansas or hosting Baylor. Like that is going to be a very welcome sight for the sport, and I think it's going to launch BYU even further. Houston belongs. They Mm -hmm. belong. So for me, this is quality for Big 12 basketball. And I think to transition the conversation, the bigger storyline is here you have Memphis, Wichita State, and Temple on an island of uncertainty. And there's, there's not much that you can do. You know, everyone, everyone is going to – someone's going to get left out every time we have one of these uh, realignment scenarios. And given the priority – that football has on all of these decisions. I just don't know how you can even consider Temple adding anywhere. I don't even know how you can consider adding Wichita State anywhere. And while I do think that uh, there is more, like Memphis is more valuable as a, a property than I think they they've kind of been given over the course of all of these uh, these realignment dealings over the course of the last decade or whatever. Um, I understand it. Like their their football's been good for like the last six or seven years, but that's it. Right. Their basketball program is good, but it kind of only really matters in the city of Memphis. And and that kind of is what it is. All right. Let's move on. Let's get rolled through a couple more of these questions uh, and then we can get out of here. This was my favorite one that we got. It's from my guys, uh, UConn podcast, a dime back. Your life is on the line. You have to pick one college basketball coach to eat a 20 pound steak. Who do you choose? Terrence, you start. Are you sure you want to start with me? Because I was, I was thinking I had. I have one that not many people know about, but he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. So I'm going to throw this one out there. Have either one of you guys met Mike Morrell at UNC Asheville? Yes. Okay. My man, Mike, he's like, I'm from Tennessee. He's from Tennessee. He's what I like to call Tennessee jacked to where there's not a whole lot of definition, but he's got really broad shoulders now and he loves to wear the, that dude's got so much energy and so much like he has to do everything fast and spastic. That dude could knock out not only that 20 ounce steak, but I'm venturing to guess he could do it in under 10 minutes. Like so, he's clear, he's clearing it and he's not even breathing while he's doing it. So Mike Morrell for one, I think the the big belly thing is a little, I think it's a little overrated in these things. I think you look at Joey Chestnut, you go, mm-hmm. man, this guy should be fat. We need these super high metabolism guys just to be able to not even look up while they're just demolishing this porterhouse. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing I will say about Mike Morrell is that I don't know if you could trust anybody that still wears a faux hawk to be. That's a- true. <laughs> it's, that's a strong case. I bet Forbes could knock. I bet Forbes could do it too. Oh, right. oh hey, yeah. Of my pick. Oh, Steve, I love Forbes. So it, it, I, he would he would absolutely house a twenty ounce. Yeah. So I think Forbes would probably be my pick to be able to get it done. But all I'm going to say is this: there is not a single coach in college basketball that would be able to put down a twenty pound steak quicker than me. So if my life's on the line. I'm, I'm, I'm eating that thing myself, man. I could look, I could put away some food. Terrence, you've seen it. You've been witness to it. Fancy. You've seen it. You've yeah. been to it. I can eat. All right. Yeah. 
the last thing I'll say is this. When it comes to food, does anybody eat more than John Rosting? Like, do we have to limit this to coaches? Can we just throw him in the mix as well? It's true. Nobody, nobody does. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go out West because he's coming off a magnificent run on the big dance floor. And I think this transitions to the dinner table. Have you guys seen billions? Have you seen the show billions? Of course. So you remember the, the, the character, the chief, uh, what is he? He's, a, he's the chief AG. He's, he's um, Paul Giamatti's boss in the show. The, the guy with the white hair. Walks like he's like the warden, you know. He 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 oversees New York State. That to me is Wayne Tinkle. Like I actually think Wayne plays him in the show. So I'm going with Wayne Tinkle out at Oregon State. Give me Tinkle magic. I think he's in the show Billions. That guy likes to eat, so I think Wayne likes to eat. Coach Tinkle, I think he could put away a steak out in Oregon. I'm going to go with Coach Tinkle. Honorable mention, Ron Hunter. Oh, good one. Honorable mention, Ron Hunter down in Tulane. I think I think that Coach Hunter uh, would be able to with his energy. You got to have energy as somebody who likes to eat. You got to bring positivity when that comes. When that play comes to the table, so many people look at it and go, "I'm never going to be able to finish this." You know what I say? Let's freaking go. Pass the bread and butter. <laughs> Let's get this show on the road. Okay. Pass coach would be Jimmy Patsos. There's my three. I thought I put a lot of thought into this, guys. You did. You did. You put a lot of thought into it. All right. So this Majerus, is Majerus could do it. Rest in oh, peace. Yes. Majerus could house one and he would sit in the hot tub while doing it. Like he would be sitting in the hot tub with his porterhouse, just knocking back and telling stories. God bless him. God right. bless him. So this is what we're going to end with. And I think honestly, this one is probably uh, is, is Fanta's wheelhouse. Um, this comes from Cranston Fryer, who's obviously a Providence fan. He wants to know where. Is the damn biggie schedule, Fanta? Where is it? Where is it? Oh boy, it's it's on it is on the way. Those folks were waiting for the white smoke to come billowing out of the uh, New York City Midtown offices. The schedule makers are are processing things. You know, I, I think things are are in the late goings. One thing logically here, uh, logistically rather, that that people can understand. Big East schools, as opposed to a lot of other leagues, not every school plays in an on-campus building. So Seton Hall at the Prudential mm-hmm. Center, um, Marquette at the Fiserv Forum, but I'm talking hockey here. So St. John's obviously at the Garden. You've got Villanova at Wells Fargo, Georgetown at Capital One, which hosts a lot of Capitals, Wizards. The NHL took their time on deciding that they're going to send their players to the Olympics. So the Big East is making the schedule. They kind of have dates on hold waiting for the NHL to determine it because if the Capitals are playing, Georgetown ain't going to be able to play that day. So it was kind of one of those things where you've got these dates on hold. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. When the, when the Big East puts their schedule out, it will be dates times TV. Some of these leagues put portions of their schedule out, just some dates. The schedule is on the way. Uh, I, I think it's we're, – we're not talking weeks. We're talking a matter of likely days uh, to Cranston Fryer without giving too much away. Stay tuned. <laughs> there you go. I thought that Fanta was just going to make a joke. We actually got a little bit of reporting there. So big big stuff, Fanta. Uh, listen, Terrence, this was fun. Thanks for jumping on with us, Fanta. It is always a pleasure to see your lovely face when you're, uh, when you're able to jump on a podcast instead of dancing at a wedding. Fellas, this was fun. Yeah.